This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 219 on a Thursday night, May the 11th. The wow, already messing up my dates. May the 11th. We've been been a while boys i think it was early last week our last pod so we got a lot to get to at all three major sports we've got a new flagship radio station to talk about we've got some transfer portal somewhat of transfer portal activity in the on the basketball side of things maybe prince collie as well making his way to uh, vanderbilt Vandy boys take the barrel home we've got a big series to talk about against florida and we've got a guest florida beat writer for 24 7 sports jacob rudner will join us a little bit later. We are powered by Laco Finewood Floors, though. They are in Nashville, family-owned and operated for more than two decades. They are Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service, growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue in Berry Hill. Give them a call at 615-356-0303 or log on to alacofinewoodfloors.com. Gentlemen, how are we doing? It's been a while. It's been over a week. <laughs> Will's cracking me up already. It's been over a week <laughs> since our last uh, episode. How are we doing? Will, the vibes are vibes are pretty high, I'd say. New flagship, Prince Collie might be coming to Vandy. Uh, the Vanny boys just took home the barrel. I mean, that, there's not a whole lot of negatives to talk about. A lot of little wins for Vanderbilt fans. And I think the biggest of the little wins recently, depending on what you want to look at in broad terms, that hasn't gotten enough attention is the deal for Vanderbilt's new flagship radio station with Chronicle Media mm-hmm. and 1025 The Game and finally getting off AM radio. Now, that <laughs> might be a little thing. I'm not saying I listen to a ton of radio, but come on, guys. An SEC program should not be primarily broadcast on 93.3 and 5.60 a.m. So shout out to Tommy McClelland. Shout out to Candace Story Lee. That was a huge deal, and I just wanted to emphasize that right off the bat. That's one of those things that truly shows the change that's happening within Vanderbilt Athletics. And it was an easy move. Mm-hmm. We've talked yep. about it. They, they're they making the easy moves, Trev. And, you know, yeah, maybe it took a lot of work to get to this point, but, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. I was, I mean, during during college, whenever I lived in Clarksville, and there would be times that I would be driving during a Vanderbilt basketball game, 
I I couldn't, I couldn't pick up the freaking basketball game on this dumb <laughs> AM radio. I don't even know what radio was it like ninety eight point three or something like that. I don't even remember. But I don't. Uh, we might be the only. We might have been the only college program in America, NCAA, NAIA, whatever that was still on an AM radio station. It's baffling. And so now you're on you're on the ESPN's like flagship radio station mm-hmm. in Nashville. Um, yeah, this is this is a big win. And it, like you said, it's just a lot of little like it doesn't take a lot to make Vanderbilt fans happy. And I got an email about it before they sent out the tweet. And I saw the email and I was like, oh, my God, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. This is amazing. Finally, that there is you can get the big three on an actual radio station. Now, how many of us actually listen to the radio? I don't know. Probably not. But, like, it's the principle. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I think that's yeah. what it is to me. It's the principle. But, yeah, the, yeah the it average, makes sense. The average sports fan in Nashville, they're in their car maybe in afternoon or at night. They're kind of scrolling through 104.5, 102.5, you know, the big stations. It, oh, there's Vandy on 102.5. It's, you know, it, yep. it's, it's there, right? And, and again, we're going to be at the games, but – there's there's post game shows. I mean, it's it's easy, right? Yes, it's, that's you can actually hear the the games clearly, right? There's not going to be much muffling in this at all. Um, so that's yeah. a big move. That's I mean, another thing. Is... The the pregame is is whenever we go to Vanderbilt sporting events. Me and my dad listen to the pregame on the radio, and you can't freaking. Of course, my dad like he knows it, but like you can't freaking find it. You're Unless like, where you the hell? The you're like, where the hell can I listen to the pregame? And if it's during the day, it's like static. I'm just listening to like white noise in my ear just because <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with the signal. But yeah, thank God, man. Just easy decision. Easy decision. Great decision by uh by the brass at Vanderbilt. No doubter. Yeah, this is one of those things that it looks obvious and looks like something obvious that every single fan would be like. We need to be on either 102.5 or 104.5. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there uh-huh. is a unique challenge with Vanderbilt being in Nashville that there are actual other sports teams that people care about based exactly that have uh-huh. their own pre existing deals. And we'll get in to that. Yeah. Alongside with, you hate to say it, but Tennessee football having a deal with 104.5. So screw you them. can see, uh, yeah, screw them. This is a 1025 the game pod right here. <laughs> it is now. This is a 1025 the game pod. The game. But it's easy <laughs> to just say that previous administrations were lazy and allowed that to happen. But I just, but, and that may be part of it. Okay. That is definitely part of it. But I think I want to give more credit to mm-hmm. the current administration for getting this done. Yeah. Because clearly yeah. there were some roadblocks in the way. Otherwise, they never would have been on 93.3 and never would have been on 5.60 a.m. or 8.30 a.m. or whatever it was. So, uh, like, this, obviously there were some roadblocks in place that this administration pushed right through. And that takes some dollars, guys, to pony up mm-hmm. and 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 yeah. say, hey, we're going to pay to get on this station. I mean, that that that's, that's what it takes. And from an outside Vanderbilt perspective, right? Other SEC fans probably don't even know, you know, what 1025 the game is, but in Nashville, this is a big Nashville move, big Vandy move, big for the station, big for 1025. You got Vandy and the Preds. And They're your, ESPN's your, flagship station mm-hmm. for Nashville. Yeah. Your competition, 1045, Titans in Tennessee. So all of a sudden you've got, you know, that that's what you've got. So we'll get into that 
at the top uh, here after uh, after some more reads, but transfer portal news on the basketball side of things, whether it's news or not, who knows, but uh, there's a pretty reliable source on Twitter. Trilly Donovan is his name. He's he's everywhere. I mean, and he's accurate too. That's the thing. It's crazy. He is. Uh, <laughs> if you've been following him for a minute, like if you didn't, if you didn't know who he was, you saw you'd be like, dude, this is a total BS. But like, mm-hmm. if you've been following him, you're like, nah, dude, he's, He's in. Yeah, he's got like 12,000 <laughs> followers on Twitter. So we'll get to to his news. I think it was yesterday about a Notre Dame transfer, another Notre Dame transfer, uh, potentially for football, Prince Collie. I think it's more than just potentially at this point. He's on a visit uh, this weekend. It could it could come as soon as he's this door. weekend, his commitment. So uh, we'll see about that. We'll talk Florida Vandy this weekend. Of course, Jacob Rudner as well. But before we do, guys, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report, Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, boys. We just talked a lot about it. 1025 the game, the new flagship of Vanderbilt Athletics. Will talked about it. I liked how you threw in Cromwell Media. That's the formality here. Uh, new multi year partnership beginning next academic year. So the first game on the station will be Vanderbilt Hawaii. Uh, men's basketball, football, baseball, along with the Commodore Hour. That's going to be on 1025 the game as well. But, Will, I said I would get to this. When conflicts arise with Preds games, those programs and games are going to air on 94.9. So, Vandy fans, lock down. I don't know if you can still save stations on your car and in those settings. Lock down 102.5. Lock down 94.9 because those are the two stations. No more 560. No more 93.3, 830 a.m., 1510, whatever the hell the a.m. stations were. No more a.m. No more AM radio uh, for Vandy fans. I think Vandy fans had given up listening to AM, actually. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we talked about it, guys. Big news. And I guess the only slightly negative thing is here, there's a lot of Preds games, right? So I, I think that might – I don't even want to say it's a downside, but just for Vandy fans, be aware that, oh, where's the Vandy game? Hey, there's a Preds game on. It's on 94.9 FM. Okay, so that's where we're at. Um, but guys, I was, Trevor, you mentioned you were a little surprised. I was kind of pleasantly surprised by this as well. I mean, I don't, none of us Uh, really saw it coming because they had the Commodore hour on 94.9, right? And that, you know, that's where you listen to that. But baseball games were on 560, uh, basketball and football games were on 93.9. There was just no connectivity. There was no, you know, there's no one station. It's on one of two stations, right? Mm -hmm. So just to have a station. Yes, Vanderbilt Athletics are on 102.5 the game. Boom. And I say it was easy move. It was a, you know, it might have, like Will said, there might have been some roadblocks, but Vandy ponied up and they said, we're we're hopping on 102.5 the game. And credit to everybody involved, Will, Tommy McClelland, Chase McCabe, the program director of 102.5 the game. So, um, again, just, just gr- a great piece of news to get. And it's good timing, right? It's not a coincidence that we're starting to get a lot of good news, boys, like, Demolition of the end zone. The end zone's gone, by the way, now. So mm. it's it's all There's, rocks, boulders, crumble. I mean, that that's it's gone. One or two five the game. This, it's 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 ties, not a coincidence. All of this ties together. 
And I think it's, I know Trevor, you have something you want to say because I want to cry. I want to talk about the emotions <laughs> I had when I saw the horseshoe in the end zone, but I need to. Oh God, we could talk about that. We I, was, there. We I was, I was, I was low key a wreck. Like that sounds embarrassing, but I was kind Dude, of I, like, were, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> somebody was cutting onions when I saw that it's picture. Weird. I didn't so know I went I'd to have the, that feeling. I, when I was at the Kentucky Vandy game, I don't know if either of y'all were at the Friday game, Kentucky Vandy. I was sitting in the infield and I look yes. over, I look over and there's no end zone. It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. It like plays with your mind because you're so used to looking over and seeing that end zone blocked off, but you just look over and it's gone. I mean, it's crazy, but it's, yes, part of it is sad, but you have to, you have to jumble the two, juggle the two and say, okay, this is, this is good news, right? As mm-hmm. much as sad as it can be, Trev, this is positive news. And, and, and that too is so, so growing up, whenever all the years that me and my dad had season tickets, we were in section M. So section M, same seat, same row for like, gosh, like maybe a, a decade. I forget how long, but it was very, you very were born long. in the horseshoe. I was, I was raised. So when we were people <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I just, I look at him in the eye. Like I get real close to him. I'm like, I was raised in the horseshoe. And they're like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> but like in my, in my head, it makes total sense. Oh, you were changed my Twitter bio. That might oh, that might be yes. my new Twitter bio in Section <laughs> J, but raised oh, in the horseshoe. Raised in the horseshoe. But it really was like, I mean, there were, I mean, some of my most, like, in all seriousness, like a lot of my more formative memories were at Vanderbilt football games in those very seats. Like some of some of my best experiences that I've had so far in life were in those seats and alongside a lot of my worst memories. But it, I mean, it is sad because there is an emotional attachment to it. And we say it all the time. First Bank Stadium was a dump. No other way to say it. But it was our dump. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, but I'm way more excited about the fact that they're pumping in money to it than I am sad. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but I do have I do have a question. Billy, talk about all the all the and I don't want to jinx it because I feel like anytime we hammer on good news, something, something bad inevitably happens. Coming. Maybe that's just me, but is Vanderbilt on the rise. <laughs> Many are saying it, that's. I think in Nashville, when you live in Nashville, and as as three of us growing up Vandy fans, you don't go through stretches like this. You, I mean, this is this <laughs> no, like this is rare. I mean, they're tearing down the football stadium once and for all, right? You've got that. That's one thing, and we haven't talked. To, I mean, we get to it every episode, but that's huge, right? It's just in the off season we got baseball and stuff, but. Yeah, baseball is Tim Corbin's doing his thing. We got this transfer portal news. Prince, I mean, it, it, you can't get much worse than 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 Vandy's at right now. But it just feels like they're headed in the right direction, right? There's no, like I hate to say it, but in the Mason era and you know three four years ago, there didn't feel like there was a light at the end of the tunnel, right? But Clark Lee comes, Candace Lee takes over, and it's not a coincidence, guys. Candace, when Candace got here. Everything slowly started to change, and I feel like now we're starting to see the fruits of, of her labor and the staff's labor with everyone involved, Tommy McClellan. So, you know, I just think Vandy's slowly – maybe they're not proving to the average fan in Nashville that might not be a Vandy fan, but I think they're starting to prove to Vandy fans that they're getting pla- – that they're going places, and, yeah. you know, they're moving in the right direction. I mean, it's undeniable. I mean, it's not a shot. This is not a shot at Vanderbilt. This is going to end up being a compliment, so stay with me. But unless you're plugged in to Vanderbilt Athletics, 
you probably haven't noticed anything. I mean, you may know yeah. that they're. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, this is the first time that we've really seen like positive momentum. That's not just one of these sports is winning games or football's on a hot stretch with James Franklin yeah. as the coach or basketball just got Darius Garland, Simi Chateau and Darren mm -hmm. Neesmith all in one class. It's not just some big flash thing happening that hasn't actually materialized out. It's like a complete shift. Feels sustainable. Yeah, and how Vanderbilt's operating. It feels like we just keep hearing news of this administration making actual progress and steps forward, and we didn't hear any buildup about it. And I think this radio deal is the perfect example. It's mm -hmm. like for years and decades, you've just heard talk. You've just heard, oh, the stadium renovations are on the way. This is on the way. Locker room renovations are on the way. And then it's some half-assed middle, mid-level job that they've yeah. done that kind of barely does the bare minimum. And now you're seeing actual progress and you're not seeing any press releases about it. It's just move in silence and let your work speak mm -hmm. for you. And I feel like that's what we're seeing out of this current administration Another, and pretty much out of the football program. And pretty much the only only program kind of moving in not the positive direction is the basketball program. Unfortunately, unfortunately. But and, uh, we'll see. Yeah. And we'll get to that. Maybe a transfer coming in from Notre Dame. But I want to mention one more thing. They put out a job uh, application for a community engagement director. I think that was the title. And that's another thing. Like, when has Vandy ever done that or even tried to do anything like that? I mean, community engagement director, I think that was the title. And, you know, that's something that, again, yes, that, that's a no-brainer. Every college athletic department at a high level should have somebody like that, right? But that, again, that's another step. They're, they're trying. You see the effort, right? You, you, they're, they're trying yeah. to make those steps. And, yeah, it's going to take a while because Vanderbilt's, they're behind everybody else, right? Will, you mentioned this, and I love when you mentioned it. They said, you said they have – finally a just a competent department that is making normal sec decisions yeah. but the reason you know it may not be making huge head waves around the country is because they're so far behind right they, they, they've mm -hmm. sort of dug themselves a hole not this administration but the ones before so you're just seeing a stark difference between Deermeyer and zeppos right candace right. lee yeah. and I, I hate saying david williams but you know let's face it candace lee thinks a little bit different than that past administration does. And she had to. So this is a bigger conversation that I love when we have it. We're going to continue it um, because go ahead, Will. Yeah, I think this will transition into what we're going to talk about next. But this this administration is doing everything in the background, like we just said. And yes, they, they view things differently. And I think it was uh, Vandy62 actually tweeted it out. Mm. But it's from uh, the U.S. Department of Education reporting. So it's the 2022 expenses Crazy. Uh, for men's sports. And Vanderbilt was actually in the top 15 in the country in recruiting expenses in 2022. That's, that's, not, that's not a misprint. However, even being top 15 in the country, Vanderbilt's expenditures were still below average in the SEC. What what are the other SEC schools in there? Will so they have the, the average SEC expenditure according to this graphic, which I quoted it uh, with, it just means more. Uh, if you want to go check <laughs> it out on my Twitter, but the SEC's average expenditure, I think this is uh, 2.5 million. Uh, I think is the number okay. for average expenditure in the SEC. Vanderbilt in 2022 is 2.4 million. 
So they spent more than Miami and the same amount as Ohio State in 2022. So they are putting in the funds to back mm-hmm. up the releases that they're putting out. And I didn't mention it, but yeah, I don't think Deermeyer is getting quite enough credit uh, for actually allowing the the athletic administration to do what they need to do and just kind of stepping out of the way yeah. and saying, I'm going to give you actual support to move forward. And the most forward reaching and forwardly visible part of this university is actually not going to be an embarrassment. So right. that's been nice to see. I would I would like to add on to this graphic. Um, even though Vanderbilt is below average in SEC spending, they're not last in the SEC in spending. Kentucky actually mm. spends less than Vanderbilt. So Vandy owns Kentucky. We all we we own these guys in football, baseball, basketball, rent free uh, sp- no, I spending. Think, unless I'm wrong here, Trevor, the only team, the SEC teams above Vanderbilt are Georgia, Texas A&M, Alabama, Tennessee. And then it's Vanderbilt. That's why I was asking. Yeah, oh, what, yes, you're right. I didn't even no, see that, who was in this front is of us. The I SEC, at yeah. who was behind so Vanderbilt's us. ahead of a lot of SEC teams. That, in yeah, that's, that's why I was Billy, asking. What are the other SEC teams? They dug themselves a hole. So they're behind. So they're going to have to consistently spend above these other SEC schools. But also keep in mind, saying that Vanderbilt's quote-unquote below average, that's not below median. Because yeah. Georgia is exponentially higher than any other program they are they have spent the most money in the entire country 5.3 million dollars in 2022 uh at number one number two is texas a&m with 4.3 million dollars so they have spent a million more dollars than any other athletic department and also keep in mind this is just what's being reported on their books publicly, yeah they don't yeah what they spent so yeah always keep that in mind but it's still great to see vanderbilt as a named school on yeah. that list in the top 15 that never I saw that I saw that and I couldn't believe it I mean who would have thought yeah. Vanderbilt would be in the top what will six seven of those those SEC schools I mean yeah top, that's, top six yeah that's crazy blue bloods so, really yeah and you start to I don't think know you count Texas A&M a blue blood but you start to think okay why isn't Vanderbilt at a different I don't know I guess stature right now than other SEC schools well you said it well they're just they've dug themselves a hole. Not this administration, mm-hmm. but the yeah. one previously. And you know we've talked about that a lot before. But we've got a lot more to get to, guys. Uh, and again, anytime we get into that rabbit hole of the administration and the good things, um, you know it. It's hard to sing. It, I don't like singling people out. You know we single Candace Lee out a lot, but this has been a team effort. Tommy McClellan, Daniel Deermeyer. If you're gonna single somebody out, I think Deermeyer might be that guy. He's the head man. Um, yep. I guess other than the uh, provost, but you know, Deer Myers is up there making the decision. So uh, again, great stuff going on with uh, 1025, the game Vanderbilt athletics. That's the flagship station. 1025 also put 94.9 uh, on your radio station as well. Transfer portal news. And I, I say news this, you know, there's no official news yet, but Trilly Donovan on Twitter, pretty reliable source. Actually, he said that, um, he would consider Vandy the leader for Notre Dame sophomore Ven Allen Lubin. One of the more interesting names. It's a dash between Ven and Allen. And I hadn't really heard. I saw this yesterday and I thought, well, you know, there's there's some traction there. Um, now he's not too far out from a decision. So it could be, I guess, I would assume it within the next week or so that he makes his decision. He's a sophomore, as I said, could be headed to Vandy. 
226 uh, pound forward. He played in 28 games, seven starts, averaged about 17 minutes last year for Notre Dame. So obviously he wasn't a huge part of their team, but I think, you know, if you're Stackhouse, you're going to take a six foot eight, 220 pound forward when you can. Um, I saw this on Notre Dame's website, coach Mike Bray, who coached at Notre Dame. He's not there anymore. Uh, just left. Actually. I think he's at the Atlanta Hawks now. Uh, he said, Van Allen is a positionless basketball player. He has the ability to post up, face up, run, change ends. He brings great length on the defensive end. And again, he's not on Vanderbilt's roster yet, but you know, this is a guy that will 6'8", 220, long, rangy, athletic. I mean, that sounds like a stackhouse type guy. Mm-hmm. And if you can get Ven Lube in this guy, and they're headed up, they're headed up to Chicago right now to the G League camp to talk to Tyron about coming back, all of a sudden, you know, Vandy might be back again. You know, we keep saying it, but you know, this guy, this this kid looks pretty good from Notre Dame. So again, he's not on Vanderbilt's campus yet. I don't know when he's visiting or if he's already visited. Um, but uh, this Donovan guy on Twitter is pretty reliable. Trevor can can say that as well. Billy, um, I don't know if you mentioned it. I, you maybe did, and I just totally blacked out. But also to add to his accolades, former four star and top one. Yes, recruit. I was. I was going to mention. Yeah, that. yeah. You yeah, stole so, what I was about to say, Trevor. To be oh, honest, gosh. But, yeah. Pretty. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. I'm not going to lie and say that I've watched this guy's highlights or watched anything about him. I read the stat line like you did, Billy. Saw the four star. Saw his offers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a as an actual recruit coming out of high school, had offers from West Virginia, Georgia Tech, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Georgia, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Alabama, St. John's. Pretty good offer list. And like Trevor mentioned, top 100 player, four star. But the emotional roller coaster of Vanderbilt basketball, I'm not going to get invested in anyone. I'm just going to wait and see who's <laughs> there. And then we can do a, a season preview and actually figure out what the hell is going on. Because some of this time. Not, not a bad option, Will. Yeah. Who's coming in to transfer? But I mean, yeah, six foot eight, two twenty. I think Stack is going to have to play a kind of European style, positionless five guard mm-hmm. type offense when your only center really five on the roster is Lee Dort. So it is yeah. what it is. There aren't that many true centers in college basketball anymore. But size is going to be a problem uh, for Vanderbilt this upcoming season in basketball, even if they land some guys in the transfer market. And we haven't had that issue with Vanderbilt very much. We've been kind of spoiled that size has not been a problem and size does matter in basketball. So I think rebounding regardless of what happens, the remainder of this off season is going to be a main point of contention when we're uh, breaking down this roster. Yeah. I think at this point, well, I don't want to say at this point it is, it does feel like it's getting very late in the process. Um, I believe Vanderbilt has three scholarship spots left. Does that sound right? I I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, you just you need big bodies so if you can get if you can get van allen um i'm not gonna hold my breath for tyron like billy said they are on their way to chicago right now to talk to him um there have been murmurs online that vandy is not out of it i don't know so luke it's uh it's luke still so up me. in he's the like, air he, he's like Do you, vandy back in regards to the tyron lawrence news and i was like i'm gonna be honest I don't know if I trust Jerry Stackhouse right now. Um, so it it could go very well. I don't know. I'm not going to hold my breath I, at this point. Just it is what it is, man. Get some big bodies in there and let's just hope for the best. That was my next question, boys. What are the chances Tyron Lawrence comes back? Um, you know, it's, it's about money. 
right? I mean, yeah, pay up, boys. There's, there's no way around it. Um, and you know, we talk about the recruiting expenditure, right? You know, that, okay, they spend on recruiting. Now, what does that mean, right? What are they spending that on? I don't know that we know that. Uh, but this is sort of a put up or shut up time for the Vanderbilt basketball program, Coach Stackhouse, the Impact Fund. Like this is this is the weekend for you. I mean. Because Tyron, if Tyron doesn't come back, is is there hope for next season? Right. I mean, I I pose that question, and all of a sudden Jerry Stackhouse might pick up a few guys, and yeah, maybe. But I mean, we said it, guys, from the beginning. And my opinion hasn't changed. I know y'all's opinion hasn't changed. Yeah. Tyron Lawrence isn't back. I I mean, it, you know, it's more of the same. Like you know, but if Tyron Lawrence does somehow come back. That's a different tune, right? I'll, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll get Will Byron back invested, right? So, <laughs> so I just maybe it's sort of a Look, it's sort Tyler of a Lawrence whatever. is the guarantee. He's the he's the piece that come that was coming back that we hadn't really straw. thought him transferring out. He's the straw that serves the drink. Like yeah. I don't want to just say that no one on this Vanderbilt but right at Vanderbilt basketball roster is talented. Because Colin Smith, out of all the guys, and this is not supposed to be a shot at anyone else in that class, at Noah Shelby or Lee Dort, but Colin Smith was my favorite recruit out of all of those talented guys that were brought in. And I think he's going to take a huge step forward uh, with more opportunities on the offensive side of the ball, especially uh, with Ezra Mignon still there to distribute the ball. Lee Dort is going to get a lot more minutes and a lot more opportunities. So I don't want to say that this team's going to be awful this upcoming season, because I don't no. think that you guys feel that either, but another team that is struggling to maybe get an NIT berth is just not what you want to see in year five. So you're in this weird spot where no, this, this team does obviously has open scholarship spots. You need to fill those. You need to get some size in here, maybe another shooter, but that's not going to get it done. That's not good enough to just put out a decent basketball team. That's what you wanted in year one and year two and year three when you were coming off the worst state ever in the history of the basketball program. That's not what you want in year five. And I think that is the thing that's going to sound like we're beating the same drum over and over, but people are going to try to shift the expectations for this program and this team as we inch closer and get into talking season the target is going to shift and we can't let that happen. The target for year mm -hmm. five is an NCAA tournament berth and that's not going to shift. We discussed it as being in year four for Jerry Stackhouse to have an NCAA tournament berth. We only adjusted that saying that it will not be moved in year five, <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. So we, we have to stick to that. We have to keep yeah. reminding Vanderbilt fans that is the expectation. So don't allow people to shift uh, your perspective as this offseason rolls on. Speaking of perspective, yeah. from from my perspective, I don't know about y'all, but it feels like the momentum they created down the stretch of last season has been derailed. Like, I, you know, I don't want to say it's meaningless yeah. because it's 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 not. I mean, yeah, it, it was a hell of an end of the season, and and I think that changed the uh, perception of Vanderbilt basketball under Coach Stackhouse. But you know, at this point, I mean, what's the country saying about this program now? I mean, Jeff Goodman. I know we love Jeff Goodman. <laughs> Uh, from from Vanderbilt fans, but you know <laughs> he put out a uh, transfer portal off season ratings, and he you know had a top five and a I don't know or best and worst top five. He had Jerry Stackhouse number one worst at Vanderbilt, and I mean that that can't be denied. We can't argue that right now. I mean that that's that's where he's at. Again, it's late in the process. You can still pick up transfers, 
But uh, the matter, the fact of the matter is, you know, the the transfers that Vanderbilt wanted, Stackhouse wanted, are on other programs right now. I mean, that, yeah, you know, that's that's sort of where they're at. So that that's know, my it, thing too is whenever you look at the portal, like yeah, you could get guys, but I don't. I don't, I don't see like any game changer. I mean, Tyron, he, I mean, he's the odd, but other than Tyron, yeah. I don't know if I see like any, any dudes who like, I would be excited Slam for dunk. them to come in. You know what I mean? Like, like getting Van Allen, like, yeah, that'd be cool. But like, I like, I don't know if I would be like excited for that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And I think Evan Taylor is sort of the last guy that you can really kind of be excited about if you're a Vanderbilt yes. fan. Uh, but you know, we had talked about it right as Evan Taylor signed or committed. We were, ex- we, our first guy that we mentioned was Tyron Lawrence. Man, we can't wait to see Tyron Lawrence play with Evan Taylor yeah. and then Tyron leave. So, um, again, we'll see. They're in Chicago this weekend, the entire staff, um, I think. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're making a final push and we might have some news after uh, this weekend. So we'll see where that goes. Another transfer. Another Notre Dame transfer on the football side of things. Prince Colley is apparently headed to Vanderbilt. Now, these are all not not even rumors. I mean, this was reported. It wasn't a writer. It was college transfer portal on Twitter, so it's all Twitter. Um, but Whoa. sources, he said, sources tell me that Notre Dame transfer linebacker Prince Colley is heading to Vanderbilt. Announcement coming soon, maybe as soon as this weekend, uh, because he's vid- visiting campus right now. Um, it would just be a massive get. And I, I'm going to talk about him as if Vanderbilt has him. They got him, right? It's official because, I mean, all signs point to this uh, being official. Kane Patterson, kid from Tennessee. Ethan Crisp, kid from Tennessee. C.J. Taylor from Tennessee. Prince Colley from Tennessee. Those are all linebackers. That's what I think about, guys. I mean, Clark Tennessee is, boys hit different. They Clark is starting to lock down the state of Tennessee and specifically middle, right? Mount Julia, I don't know. I mean, what would you call that? Middle Tennessee? I mean, yes. okay. So I'm, my geography skills are awful, but. Wait, like, Mount Julia is totally middle Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, like dead middle Tennessee. <laughs> Stupid. Okay. Man. I'm an idiot. But okay, middle Tennessee, Taylor, Patterson, Crisp, right? Prince Collie's from East Tennessee. But again, the state, right? All those linebackers are from the state of Tennessee. And that's what I think about when I think of Prince Collie. But this kid's pretty good. I mean, out of high school, Vanderbilt was after him. He went to Notre Dame. And it's hilarious because Bart, guess who evaluated this guy? Barton Simmons evaluated Prince Collie when he was at 24-7. I saw that, I think, last week. I started laughing. Um, but, man, Collie is a guy that I think would fit right in. You know, Anthony Orgy is gone. I feel like he might be that replacement. Maybe not right away, but down the stretch of the season, turns into that Orgy replacement. So, well, I mean, you look at Kali, maybe he takes that Ethan Barr spot alongside Kane Patterson if he comes. And again, I'm talking about it as if he will come and he's committed. So, I mean, this is huge, right? It's not a, I don't know if it's a grand slam, slam dunk, but for Vanderbilt and where they're at in their program trajectory, this is a home run, right? And, and so I can't say enough about this. And, you know, we talked about this guy at the very bit. I think we talked about him a few episodes ago, but it kind of, you know, kind of disappeared a little bit. But all of a sudden, looks like Collie's headed to Vandy. Will, I mean, this would be massive. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. Robbie has commented on this a few times. This would be an absolutely massive get. 
and, and mm -hmm. we're assuming that it is going to happen. It's a scholarship issue, scholarship situation. They don't have any available right now. So trying to clear space uh, so he can officially announce the transfer, but it's all but official. There are three crystal balls on 24-7, but this guy was a top 100 recruit uh, on 24-7 coming out of high school, a four-star um, he mm -hmm. had offers, and I'll just run through a few of them because the list is very There's long. a lot. But he had offers from Virginia, Virginia Tech, Vanderbilt, Boston College, Auburn, Georgia, Oklahoma, Mississippi State, NC State, Kentucky, Tennessee, Michigan State, West Virginia, Texas, LSU. The list goes on. Highly so recruited. He is a highly recruited guy. He had time, he had a few opportunities, very few snaps overall at Notre Dame, but performed pretty well when he had those snaps. I mean, the numbers aren't eye-popping, but I think he had about around 100 actual snaps mm -hmm. on the field. So this is a guy, like you said, that can make an immediate impact, and there are just like big men in basketball, just like pitchers in baseball, you can never have too many linebackers or too many linemen in football. Depth is king, especially in the SEC, and that's always been – the big issue for Vanderbilt football Death. is even on yeah. the teams that were very talented. Those, those ones on Vanderbilt's roster, especially in the trenches and at linebacker can compete in the sec and they are legitimate sec talent, but it's when those twos and threes have to start rotating in, especially at linebacker and defensive line and O line or whatever it is that, but especially at linebacker and on defensive at defensive line, when those guys at the two and three lines have to start rotating in, Vanderbilt is never able to hold up. You named off the talent that they have uh, just with the local Tennessee guys. I mean, you're seeing Clark actually build depth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the $2.4 million recruiting expenditure uh, in 2022 on men's sports. I mean, you're seeing the results. Vanderbilt is in the conversation for these top transfers, for these early on top recruits. Uh, we haven't even gotten into some of the offseason rumors uh, with guys that you're seeing, including four-star defensive lineman Zadavian Sims. Yes. Who's going yeah. to announce uh, his decision on where he'll be attending on May 20th. He'll be choosing between Vanderbilt, Michigan State, Oklahoma, TCU, and Oregon. So that's another guy right there. Obviously, he's choosing between Vanderbilt and four blue blood powerhouse programs. But Vanderbilt's in the conversation for these guys, and that's not something you were, you would have ever said or expected to be saying uh, three, four years ago at the end of Derek Mason's tenure. So you're seeing positive momentum, and it's absolutely undeniable. Yeah, I totally agree. If there's anybody on on, uh, I, and I know a lot of people on the boards and on Twitter, are like, oh well, where? Sorry, my cat keeps getting in the screen. Man, she is. Um, she loves Vanderbilt. She is a diehard. She's a anytime door. when the door report starts, she is ready she, to roll. She literally in the camera. She's like, I want to talk about Vanderbilt. <laughs> like, there she is. But yeah, it, it like Will said, it's a scholarship thing. They don't have any left right now, or they're full. A scholarship will come open. Uh, you can – that's a blood bank guarantee. Prince Colley is going to be a door. Like Will said, Crystal Balls right now 100% projected to go to Vanderbilt. By Vanderbilt's own Robbie Weinstein. Hashtag thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. And Tom, and Tom Loy, who writes for Irish Illustrated, which is Notre Dame's 24-7 uh, mm -hmm. board. Um, he's going to be a Commodore. I, I'm with Will. I think this is a slam dunk home run get. Getting guys that you and and two, I'll, I'll probably 
navigate a little away from Prince Collie right now, but he obviously is in the in the discussion. Mm-hmm. But I I can't I can't talk about it enough, um, about what Will just said to where you're seeing guys choose Vanderbilt who have options that are typically better than Vanderbilt. I I've I've talked about him a hundred times, but Darren Agu is my favorite because if you followed his recruitment at all towards close to signing day. Tennessee made a huge push on him. And, oh, before that, Vanderbilt flipped him from Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Like, Vanderbilt historically has not flipped kids from Notre Dame. They haven't kept kids away from Tennessee. They haven't kept kids away from Alabama. I mean, C.J. Taylor got a bag thrown at him and turned down the bag at Tennessee to stay at Vanderbilt. So I, I I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's awesome. Two years of eligibility left. He's a sophomore. So if he stays at Vanderbilt, you got him for a couple more years. Um, I think he's an immediate starter. It, it, he's, I know he's not committed yet, but guys, he's he's a door. He's a yeah. door. I think I, he's an immediate starter. I agree. Okay, and it's, I real just quick, do want to say, okay, go Billy. Real, real quick. Well, I, I want to hit off what you just said too. I mean, that was a great analysis there, Will, of the, the recruiting style of Coach Lee. Not only are they getting mentioned in these top fives, but they're getting these kids on official visits, right? That's a whole nother level, yeah. right? We would see this under coach Mason where, you know, they're in the top five, but you know, we never saw them, you know, that staff bring that kid on campus, right? Mm-hmm. Clark Lee's getting these elite prospects on campus. So I want to throw that in there, right? That's another level of this. So you're getting them on campus. You're selling the vision. You're selling that your end zone's being torn down. You're showing him renderings of the new stadium. Like that's another level of this. So sorry to butt in Will, but I thought what you hit on there was perfect. No, that's, that's perfect. I mean, you, you pretty much hit on it. I think you and Trevor nailed everything. I didn't mean to, I accidentally raised my hand, whatever function that is on. (laughs) I did. I saw that. I was going to say so. I think, I think that made Billy think that I really needed to say something and that just wasn't (laughs) true. I think, but the last thing I wanted to say is I think you mentioned it, but Clark Lee is who recruited him to Notre Dame. Yes. I believe. Unless I'm I'm wrong. So that's a big issue. Is that Clark is the guy that brought him in there? So that's another piece to this puzzle that it just makes so much sense. That might but, have that might have helped a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. and Kane Patterson kind of flew under the radar as well, but he's another guy that was a, a former four star yeah, coming yeah. into the transfer portal, and that hasn't been Clark Lee or Barton Simmons' path forward for Vanderbilt football. I don't think that's going to be where Vanderbilt sits no. uh, in the landscape of college football as a transfer portal destination for these guys, but they're picking and choosing their spots well. Uh, But that also creates the issue of creating that scholarship. So most programs would just kick off an underperforming junior uh, and tell him that he doesn't have a scholarship anymore and he can remain as a preferred walk-on if he wants to, but he better look for another destination. Clark Lee's not building that program. Barton Simmons isn't helping Clark Lee build that program. So there's going to be a lot more of a, I don't want to say, uh, a work in progress, a long-term work in progress to kind of work mm-hmm. through how this actual scholarship is going to open up. Cause yeah. I just don't think Clark Lee is the type of guy to just boot a guy off the road. No, rails. that that's an interesting so, yeah. aspect However, to this. Where the private university has always kind of been a negative for Vanderbilt football and a benefit for Vanderbilt baseball. Well, now you can have a guy that's a, uh, you know, junior, senior, very well performing academically you can say, hey, 
we're going to give your scholarship to Prince Kali, but boy, do we have a fund for you from a private yeah. donor to cover your expenses In your that, senior year, buddy. Yeah. So oh my God, I didn't such even a think good about student, that. So they don't mm -hmm. have to even worry even about that about issue. That. Because that's the difference is there's not the 85 scholarships normally doesn't restrict a football roster in any way. So it's not been a benefit for Vanderbilt to truly have that option like it is in baseball with yeah. the restricted amount of scholarships at 11.7. This is one of the very, 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 very small examples of what yeah, can benefit Vanderbilt. So that is another reason that I think we're so confident he's going to be on campus. And this is yeah. a good problem to have depth. You're mm -hmm. retaining players. Clark Lee is retaining players. They still have the fewest transfer portal entries of any SEC program. That's massive. I mean, that yeah. is, that's huge. We cannot overstate that. Will Shepard had other opportunities. Mm -hmm. C.J. Taylor had other opportunities. A.J. Swan had other opportunities, mm -hmm. and they're all Commodores. Like, we, we cannot and overstate seals? that. Ken Seals. Ken, Ken Seals might he be. He had other opportunities. Best, he, he might be the be best, best example of any, of any player that is like. Just the program. The program yeah. in general and the fairness in the current state of college athletics, which has always been a dirty business. But I think college football is like reaching a peak of dirtiness. And, a, and college basketball I, I is reaching a peak yeah. mm -hmm. of dirtiness and shadiness. And so to find the program that I don't think it's bullshit what they're espousing about building a culture and building a program. And because Clark Lee's been like that from the beginning. I mean, he's never wavered wherever he's been. And some people view that as too boring. But I think for a lot of these guys, that is a culture that's hard to find. And that is going to become the value in college football is finding a program that's not just looking for a player that's 2% better than you and can perform 2% better. And so even though your scholarships renewed year after year, I don't think people, most people really think about that, but these scholarships are renewed each year. They're not guaranteed for four years. So to have a program that's like, I know that we can't actually guarantee this, but we're not just going to kick you out of this program is something that's very, very, very valuable. It's holistic. I will, I will say too, before we go on, sorry, one more thing about Prince Colley. Uh I was this has been on my mind. I've been looking at Vanderbilt's recruiting history, and if somebody's listening to this and you are, like, crunching the numbers and, cor and can correct me, please tweet at us and let me know I'm wrong. I think if Prince Colley, hypothetically speak, this is just to show how good he was and how highly touted as a recruit he was, I think if he committed to Vanderbilt out of high school, he would be Vanderbilt's highest-rated recruit of all time. Really? I, th I think he – It was Marcus Bradley, wasn't it? Before, um, uh, it was right, uh, Nephi. Well, it was Nephi. Nephi, Nephi was, Leila. according to twenty four seven, Nephi was higher than Marcus Bradley. How ironic is that? Twenty four seven also has Chris Young as our number one recruit ever. Yeah, when you when you look at those, they have not always been studs for Vanderbilt. Yes, exactly. Yes. Highest rated recruits. So keep keep in mind that uh, every uh, time yeah, yeah. That, that's these stars. Just just as high rated. has a high school like projections and the way they crunch numbers. But then again, I'm literally doing all these numbers in my head right now. No, I, I think I'm you're pretty right, I'm pretty positive he would have that's wild been the hot like the highest rated recruit in Vanderbilt history. And again, that that's what I that's what I was trying to say earlier. Like, say Tennessee got this guy, right? That'd be okay, solid get. You know, say anybody else who was after him, but Vanderbilt got him, 
where they are in this program, they're still building, right? This is a big get, right? And and so mm-hmm. you know we can't we can't overstate that. So man, talking football, whew, this is this, this is summer, fun, these boys. summer these summer these summer football talks are juicy. Correct. These summer <laughs> yeah, episodes I mean, yeah. are going to be electric. Man, they get on the field for practice, it's over. Oh. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little baseball. Vandy boys, <laughs> they take home the barrel, battle the barrel. Vandy, crazy game, hell of a college baseball game. Yeah, uh, the other night. I mean that. I sat down and watched that whole thing, and it was it was fun to watch, man. I mean, from beginning to end, Vandy wins twelve to eight in twelve innings. They scored four runs in the top of the twelfth to win the game, and after that, it was you know it was a wrap. I thought they'd won it after Parker Nolan's backside bomb in the ninth, but some you know a few mistakes by uh, Jack Bolger behind the plate, you know, kind of cost Vanderbilt that win in the ninth inning. And they had to go on you know three more innings. Uh, Enrique Bradfield came up big. I mean, he's the clutch gene there. I mean, you talk about clutch. He delivered the go-ahead knock in the twelfth. Bases were loaded, two-run single through the right side. But David Horn. He finished off Louisville in the bottom half to earn the win. He pitched his butt off. I mean, pitched the final three innings, only one hit with three strikeouts. And Tim Corbin brought up the Will Kleinard comparison. Because if you think back to that, I don't know if y'all remember this, but Will Kleinard was the closer that sent Vanderbilt to Omaha, their first trip to Omaha ever. Earlier in the regular season, he had an outing, and he was a young kid. He had an outing that just stunned the coaching staff, and they ended up, having to rely on Kleinard in the postseason. That's what Coach Corbin compared this to, Will Kleinard, uh, and, and that postseason appearance. So uh, it's just a crazy game. Both teams used a combined 21 pitchers in, in this game, which was ridiculous. I mean, you never see that. Uh, yeah. But, but Trav, I guess I'll start with you. What did you take away? I mean, for me, it was okay. Yeah, you beat Louisville. Louisville's not in the tournament right now. They're on the bubble. Yeah. Um, but obviously the the first five six innings a little shaky I think offensively you know they were putting up runs but you know I just I think about that that ninth inning defensively and I tweeted yeah. about this I said boy Jack Bolger and I I hate singling him out but Bolger's defensive um, you know lack of efficiency reared its ugly head I mean mm-hmm. you know he had an easy opportunity throw runner out at second. Didn't get him, and then it, I think was it a pass ball, Trev? Uh, uh, uh dr- uh, it would have it was a uh, drop strike, a uh, foul tip, yeah. Okay, yeah. So again, it you know not glaring mistakes, but it you know they kind of start they're starting to snowball a little bit. Now he's fine at the plate. That that's that's where it's tough. And we have a question about Bolger or Espinal in the comments, and we'll get to that. But Trev, just real quick before we preview Florida takeaways from Vandy Louisville. It, if I wasn't a Vanderbilt fan and, and and I was just watching as a baseball fan, which I still am, uh, I would have thought that it was a phenomenal game. It was exciting. It was it was college baseball yeah. at some of its best. As a Vanderbilt fan, though, I'm I'm a little uneasy about it. Yes, it's a rivalry game. Yes, it's a midweek game on the road. Um, but there. Enrique was a little bit shaky, but he did get it going. Pitching, God, God bless his heart. Bryce Cunningham, man. I don't, so the pitching, I don't know what to. 
I don't know what to do with him at this point. Like, I don't like, that's another thing is like, I wish I had an answer for him, but like for him in particular, like I don't, cause I think come postseason, I think you're going to have to rely on him. I think he's going to have to come into some big spots and, and maybe relief, but man, I just, I don't know what you do with him, but Jack Bulger. Yeah. Goodness. I mean, his, uh, his, out differential in that inning was like negative two. Uh, he he could have he essentially he could have ended the ball game, um, but had two routine um, errors that extended the game. So Davis Diaz resurgence though has been nice. I joked about Boom. it on Twitter. Everybody, I have this thing too, to where it it, it extends in all Vanderbilt athletics. So quick story: I went to the two open spring practices for football before the spring game. Watched those and uh, Walter Taylor looked terrible. Like he looked bad. Like if you're on the message boards, you even saw it from Robbie and Chris. They're like, he did not look good before the black and gold game. I told Will and Billy, I was like, yo, he's stunk recently. Like don't expect anything out of him. And then he comes out and he looks like Cam Newton. And it was like probably the MVP of the spring game. So I have this thing to where if like I hate on a Vanderbilt player, they're going to turn it around. And the Davis Diaz resurgence has been wonderful to watch. So I'm going to hate on Jack Bolger a little bit, and hopefully it turns him around. Uh, he's not really a liability at the plate. He can be, though. But defensively, he is the definition of a liability defensively. Um, and you obviously can't catch Espinal every single game. He's going to – yeah, he's not going to have any cartilage yeah. left in his knee. So you got to rely on Bolger. But sheesh, man, those defensive errors – in Omaha or in Hoover, it didn't it didn't bite Vanderbilt in the butt really because it took him out with the win. But in other situations, more high stake situations in ball games, that what he did that will lose you ball games. Yes, and so it's easy to be like, okay, it's a win now, but in a couple weeks or in a month, like that might not be a win because of those mm-hmm. mistakes. I know we have to preview Florida, so I know we're on a tight little timeline here, but this is just one little comment. I think this podcast in particular, every criticism, of course, from Trevor or me or Billy, I don't want to speak for you guys, but every criticism we hope from the bottom of our hearts that we can be used as the hater fuel by that Vanderbilt player as oh, the motivation yes. they need it's happened. to then it, give the it, middle I finger mean, as like it's I worked. just balled out. I promise you, I will Davis be Diaz so is the hottest, happy to eat crow. The hottest exactly. bat on the team. Do but, it to Bolger. Yeah, on Bolger, I don't I, think the Bolger stuff would be as vocal from, from you guys in particular, just from the outside looking in on the opinions you've had if Espinal wasn't playing as well. That as is has. very, very So true, I think yes. that that is also a part of this is it's not as much Bolger. I mean, there are some criticisms, but not just pure Bolger hate, but it's also yeah. like this guy's playing so damn well. Every yeah. time he's out there, it seems like the team performs better as a whole. Yeah, and we got a fan question about that, about why is an Espinal starting, and we'll answer that. But And we've got a guest coming up. We're on a time crunch here. we got to get going, boys. But Florida Vandy this weekend, Friday or tomorrow, 4.30, early first pitch. So early get up 5, 5.30 Florida time. So, you know, I guess that's the reason why. But it is on the SEC Network, so tune in. After you get off work or you're finishing up work, uh, Saturday, 530 SEC Network Plus. So a little night game on Saturday. We haven't gotten one of those uh, in a while. Sunday at noon. So Kevin O'Sullivan and Florida are always tough, right? I mean, this you go back to 2011, 2012. That was the sort of first original rival of, of Vanderbilt and Tim Corbin. So uh, Jack Caglione is the guy to talk about 
I mean, yeah. 27 home runs, 69 RBIs. I mean, those are historic college baseball numbers. I mean, he's also their day three starter on the mound. He's not a, he hasn't pitched great, but I mean, he's a Shohei Otani type guy with that type mm-hmm. of talent. So we'll talk about all of this with, um, I am forgetting his name now. I feel awful. Jacob Rudner from 24-7 Sports. He's the Robbie Weinstein of Florida, so he covers them. Uh, we'll talk with him. But we've got a bunch of questions, and I want to get to all these questions. Anytime we present the questions tweet, I want to try to get to all of them. We're we'll on a time rapid crunch. Fire. Yeah, we got to do rapid-fire answers here, boys. We'll start with Jeff Stokes. Well, I guess we kind of just answered this. Are you still worried about Diaz in the two spot? No, we're not. No. We're not, no. We're not worried Next question. About, <laughs> All right, here's the SB question. Why aren't they starting SB from Scott Derrick? This has baffled me, and I know we just talked about it. I'm not sure why they ever took the bat away from him to begin with after he mm-hmm. walks off. I mean, he had the walk-off against Kentucky on Sunday to sweep him. How do you take the bat away from that guy? I know it's the regular season, but, man, it just sort of surprised me. But more importantly, his defense, and I, it hurts me to say it, but it's true. It's a fact his defense is much better than Bulger's. He frames pitches better. He yeah. makes ball. He turns balls into strikes. He throws out more runners when he has when he's had the chance. It's not even close, really. So this will sort itself out. But Trev, th- this coaching staff has a huge decision on their hands yeah. at the catcher position. You've got to lock down a catcher for the postseason. You can't. I don't know that you can rotate two guys. No. I and to 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 answer the question. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people know this, but if you don't, um, the the catching position in baseball is incredibly physically demanding. That's why mm-hmm. all Major League Baseball teams have two catchers and they rotate them pretty frequently because catching is very, very hard. Not only are you in a squat position the whole time, it takes a toll on your knees, on your back. Uh, you're also taking those foul balls off the face. And a lot of the times those result in concussions. Uh, I'm a Reds fan. Tyler Stevenson has had, I feel like, mm-hmm. four concussions in two years from foul balls. Um, so that's probably the reason why. I, I think moving forward, I think the rest, I think for this series and then the Arkansas series, I think he's going to be the starter for two of the three, two yeah, of the three yep. games in the weekend series. Yeah. I, so – with that being said, you obviously can't have him play all three just because that's really hard on your body. And maybe it's a little something along the lines of like um like player management or or like load management yeah. where you you don't want to burn him out before like you really need to put this guy through the meat grinder come June. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably what it is. Um come come regional time, hopefully super regional time, hopefully Omaha. Uh don't be shocked if he's if he's catching three games in a row. I yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Espinal I think it's just load management at this point. It yeah. is frustrating though because he is great in every asset every facet, but I think it's just sort of load management. Yeah, and I take the better defensive catcher all day as opposed to offensive, right? You've got oh, so many other yeah. you've got so many other bats in the lineup, you know, and so yes. I take the better defensive player all day. Um all right, we got a that bunch might be more the only, yeah, the only spot ahead, in well. sports you'll ever hear me say that he's <laughs> I knew you would agree with yeah, that. I'm a big knew... time offensive guy in every single position almost in every sport except catcher in baseball yeah, yeah. I knew that's I knew all I've got agree. to add there Trevor Trevor nailed that one <laughs> all right Vanderbunt right we've talked a lot about this the bunting has has been a huge discussion I love this question the lack thereof Vol hater great uh great account there why does Corbin hate the Vanderbunt now <laughs> it's pretty funny 
credit Arya Gerson. I'll go here. She asked Corbin about his bunting strategy after the game against Louisville. He said he doesn't like to bunt on the road. He said, really, last week, if I had the same situation over again, I played out the same way. Anytime you're on the road, unless I feel the bunt is the best play, I feel like the way to win the game is letting guys swing the bat and figure it out themselves, and it didn't work the other night. Tonight, against Louisville, they had to bunt in certain situations. So Corbin doesn't like bunting on the road. I don't think Vanderbunt is dead by any means. Um, But I'm with Corbs. I mean, it's not easy to lay down a bunt, right, in a pressure-packed situation when you've got runners on. You're a lot more comfortable at home. So um, I I don't know what you think, Trev, but, you know, I don't know that he hates the bunting strategy. He just – he's not a huge proponent of bunting on the road. Yeah, and to I'll say this. I don't have any stats to back it up. I only have just – years of watching Vanderbilt baseball Um, the Vanderbunt has been a thing for a long time like a decade and there's always been this um progression of the the deeper we get into the season the closer we get to postseason play Tim Corbin sort of like takes the Vanderbunt away um mm-hmm. I guess maybe that's a great insight as to why he's done that for years um, is because whenever you get on the road or sort of if you go to like a neutral site, um, maybe that plays into his philosophy. Um, I, I also saw Aria, I might butcher her tweet. I don't have it pulled up, but I did see her in the same uh in the same conversation, um, tweet her opinion that uh if, if you bunt, you're basically it's obviously a bunt is a guaranteed out, um, unless you're Enrique Bradfield Jr. But even for him, go ahead and just think is an automatic out Mm -hmm. um in that situation you're playing just really for one run like that's that's the tactic behind it and so you obviously have a much better opportunity of putting up a crooked number if you let somebody swing the bat i do understand that with that being said i i get what he's saying because i was frustrated as hell i was like jesus tim just let him bunt you know what i mean like just do it and i'm very anti-bunt and almost everything but i'm like Dear God, just let the guy bunt. Like, let's just get a run and get home. Well, and it's it, it's twenty twenty vision, right? It, yeah, you know, if it doesn't work out, you're like, why did we bunt? But if but, you didn't but, bunt and you get an out, it's like, why didn't we bunt? Yeah. I yeah. just have to give this comparison because you know, I I don't have the numbers listed out well enough to read them off, so they're going to sound comprehensible right now on this podcast. But bunting is bad. And at a high level in Major League Baseball, the numbers bear that out, that it's like a 0.2 decrease in average run output from your team if you bunt between 0.15 and 0.2 decrease, which means if you bunt 10 times versus just letting your guy swing the bat in every situation at the Major League level, your team is going to score two less runs on average. Mm. Now, there are yeah. situations specific. That's why the bunt is dead in Major League Baseball. Yeah, they don't because bunt anymore. And, yeah. and SEC baseball is basically Major League Baseball. High-level college baseball is also basically Major League Baseball. It's not. Obviously, the guys in the majors are way better. But bunting is kind of like punting inside your inside the 50 in football. Is I will disagree with it 98 99% of the time, even when old-school baseball guys will want bunts. The only situation that makes any sense in is when you need one run to win the game, have one or zero suicide. Outs, yeah. And it's a suicide yeah. bunt to win the game. That is yeah. almost the only situation that I will ever agree 
with a bunt. For some reason, that is one of the few places in baseball that analytics guys have decided to ignore, and I have no idea why. All right, let's get to Justin Kemp. He said, of course, we want to win both games, both series, but which series is more important, Florida or Arkansas? Really good question. Really good question. And it's hard to answer because really when you think about it, it depends what happens, right? If if Andy salvages the series, they they don't get swept, but they they win one. Florida wins a series two out of three against Arkansas. You really just need one more win. You don't even really have to win the Arkansas series. But I'll say this, even if Vandy doesn't win the East, right? And if they lose the series to Florida, it's going to be close. You know, it, they got to win the Arkansas series probably to win the East. But even if they don't win the East, they can still likely host, especially if they get to 18 wins in the SEC. But for Vandy to lock up a top eight national seed, without question, leave no doubt, they've got to pick up two more SEC games, right? Whether it's one against Florida, one against Arkansas, or two against either of those. And in the past 10 tournaments, guys, 23 out of 27 SEC teams that got to 19 wins have received a national seed. So 19 SEC wins is the magic number. So that, that's what makes this question hard to answer, right? I mean, I don't know that it matters. I, I don't. It, it's hard to say what series is more important. But if I had to answer, I would say Florida simply because a sweep, if you get swept by Florida, that would really hurt you. Right, that would hurt your national seed chances. Get out of Gainesville with at least one win, and you're fine. Then you head back home. You face Arkansas, and if you if you win one, if you know you're probably in. If you win two, you're definitely in as a top eight seed. But I don't know. It, it's tough, Trevor. I don't know what you'd say, but just for the sake of you can't get swept by Florida, so I yeah. would say Florida's the more important because it's the next series. But uh, it's a good question, and you know I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans are wondering that. That I so I was originally going to say Arkansas simply because, and I think I said this on the last pod, because it is so close or not so close. It is the end of the season, and it is going into postseason. Maybe that would generate some sort of momentum going into Hoover. But then again, I don't know if Tim Corbin really cares about Hoover. Like, let's just be honest. So, realistically, like, they might drop Hoover just because they're like, all right, like, who cares? We're focused on the regionals. Um, So then the idea of momentum would be out the window. So I'm probably going to lean Florida, too, just because it's it's a big series. It's um, against a a great team away uh, down in their place. I think if you get – I think if you get a series win – I guess Florida. I think you wrap it up. I don't know if we've I don't know if we've recapped really quickly where those two where these teams are sitting in the SEC standings either. But Vanderbilt right now is seventeen and seven in the SEC. Florida is fifteen and nine, uh, sitting in second place Mm -hmm. in the East, right behind Vanderbilt. And then Arkansas is sitting atop the SEC West with the same record as Vanderbilt at seventeen and seven. Yep. Um. And this doesn't really answer. And the that's question. the case for Arkansas to be the most important series because exactly. you know if you want to win the SEC or get that edge over Arkansas, that's the argument. Mm-hmm. Well, that and Arkansas plays South Carolina this weekend. Yes. Number six, South Carolina at home, uh, and Florida has a series after the Vanderbilt series. They play at Kentucky to close mm-hmm. out the season. So. A lot of, you know, what is most important, I think, is going to come down to how the uh, series plays out for Arkansas against Ole Miss, which is going to be something to keep an eye on. Ask me that after this weekend, Justin. 
That's a South Carolina. Good, I just said yeah. Ole Miss, but South Carolina is what I meant. My bad. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know that we can really answer it. I would say Florida, but again, it, it I'm just kind of throwing an answer out there on the wall off the wall. Uh, real quick, one more here from Oric Goldfinger. Which teams would we least want to see in a regional? It's a really, really good question. Um, I'm going to throw a few out there. I don't know what you guys got, but for me, Clemson is a tough, they would be a tough two seed in a regional. Former Vandy assistant Eric Backich is their head coach. He's got them rolling right now. I think they've won five straight series. They started off poorly, but they're they're back rolling right now. I could totally see the committee putting Clemson in the Nashville regional just for entertainment level matchups. I mean, that that would scare me as a Vandy mm-hmm. fan, seeing Clemson as a two seed. They're hot right now. Uh, Eric Backage knows Tim Corbin in that program. They beat Vandy beat Michigan when he was the head coach for the national title. Uh, Notre Dame is another team. They're probably going to be a two seed. Notre Dame, I mean, they were in Omaha last year. Uh, they still got a lot of talent on that team. Louisville, I know I said they're not in the tournament right now, but if they get in as a three seed, they're in the Nashville Regional. I mean, mm-hmm. Louisville, yeah. is, they're, they're putting Louisville in the Nashville Regional uh, seemingly every year if they can. Um, I mean, we just saw how dangerous they are. They got to do a lot of work, though. They've, they've got a lot of work to get to get into the tournament. But if they do get in, I think that would be scary for Vandy. Southern Miss is a team that I've seen Vanderbilt paired with here in the last few weeks as a two-seed in the Nashville Regional. They have potential to be a one-seed. They, they have potential to host. So Southern Miss, if they get a two-seed, that's going to be scary for anybody. So I'll say Clemson, Notre Dame, Louisville, Southern Miss – um, it's hard to say right now just because there's there's a lot of two-seed candidates. There's a lot of good teams. There's a lot of depth in college baseball. Uh, K-State, I think, is the three-seed mm-hmm. uh, right now for Vanderbilt. According to D1 Baseball, they've got Alabama State as the four with Vanderbilt right now. Southern Miss is the two. That would scare me. Uh, mm-hmm. And then number three, K-State. So that's a tough regional. Baseball America has Vanderbilt with Texas Tech as the two, Xavier as the three, and Southeast Missouri State is the four. Texas Tech would scare me. So yeah. there's a lot of candidates out there. Trev, I don't know about you, but I, Clemson for me is the number one team. That two seed would really scare me. I'll throw out a, a little sneaky one. Um, uh, they wouldn't be in the Nashville regional, but they, I mean, Vanderbilt could face them. Uh, what Billy just quoted, uh, Teddy um, from yeah, Te- Baseball Teddy America. Cahill. Yeah. yeah, Teddy Cahill from Baseball America and his where he was uh, – Said like you said, Vanderbilt, Texas Tech, Xavier, Southeastern Missouri State, and the Coral Gables one. It would be Miami, Dallas Baptist, Vanderbilt. Possibly playing someone like Dallas Baptist would mm-hmm. would sort of scare me. There's something about those smaller mid major schools to where not only would be even in the regular season playing Vanderbilt would be their World Series, but playing Vanderbilt in a super regional um, would also be their World Series. Um, Texas Tech does scare me as well. I think Clemson is scary. Um, I Louisville doesn't scare me that much. Just kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know. Their bats, their bats are are good, but I think if you, I think if we played Louisville, it would be, I don't know, probably Hunter Owen versus their number two, and I'm going to yeah. take that matchup any day. You know yeah. what I mean? There, there's one school, and they were ranked. I saw them projected as a two. And there's obviously a lot of movement to happen, but Duke is is in particular. Yes. I don't know if they would be included mm-hmm. in the Nashville Regional, but I saw them projected as a two. UCLA, mm-hmm. the, the big brand baseball schools is, is who I want to avoid. Kind of the opposite of what Trevor just said, to be honest. 
Um, but my actual opinion on this Vanderbilt team, assuming they're hosting uh, to start out, I'm not scared of anybody. I, I think at home, this team is yeah. not losing. And and that's bared, it's bared out throughout this season. They're eight and six on the road. I think that's the biggest concerning part of this team has been how they've played on the road. They've been dominant for the most part at home yeah. outside of that yeah. South Carolina series. So uh, no one to be honest, but seeing one of those big brand schools that's kind of fallen down into a two seed and kind of been under seeded based on their national seeding, North Carolina might be another yeah. one to throw in there, but that, but that's the one that I would really want to avoid seeing. Real quick here, let's roll through it here. Bang, bang, bang answers here from Nate. What has to happen for Vandy to win the national title this season? I'll say get Carter Holton healthy, lock down the catcher spot, and the top of the order has to get on base. That that's what I've got. I, I'm pretty yes. sure you guys would agree, but Trev, I don't know yeah. if Trev well enough. And, uh, and, and Enrique, Enrique Bradfield has to get on base. I don't care if he's hit by a pitch in the head. I don't care if he singles. I don't care if he walks. Enrique Bradfield has to get on base. When Enrique Bradfield gets on base, Vanderbilt wins. It's just it's that simple. Hit the ball and strike out the opponent. <laughs> I knew I knew that was coming. From Will, hit the ball and strike out the opponent. That's there's your answer, Nate. Uh, Miller McKee said we need an Arkansas tailgate next Saturday. We might have to do that uh, yeah. next Saturday, but we're uh, saving the boys are in. We're saving up for the postseason, Miller. That's that's what Will <laughs> says. So, all right, coming up, Jacob Rudner covers Florida for twenty four seven Sports. We'll preview this weekend. We saved all of our Florida preview for Jacob, so stay tuned. We got Jacob Rudner coming up to preview Vandy, Florida this weekend. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jacob Rudner, Florida beat writer for 24-7 Sports, joins us now to preview Vandy in Florida this weekend in Gainesville. Top 10 matchup, probably the, the, I mean, the best matchup in the SEC, definitely one of the best in the country. Uh, all eyes are on this matchup in the SEC. Of course, a lot of other big SEC matchups uh, with a lot of postseason implications. This is one of them, especially in the East. If you want to win the East, you kind of want to win this series if you're Vanderbilt in Florida. So, uh, we're going to talk about it here with Jacob. Jacob, thanks for taking the time. I, I want to start with just this season for Florida. Uh, you know, we saw Florida in Nashville last year. Vanderbilt was able to win that series. What have you seen from the Gators this season? And it feels like this has been a year where, you know, they they return a lot of seniors, obviously a lot of talent on this team, great pitching, but offensively, I mean, th that's been the story for the Gators this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think that this is a team that is extremely offensively potent. Uh, you look at the top four hitters in the lineup, and I would say that they're arguably the best uh, at their position, or at least among the best at their position uh, throughout the entire country. Uh, true freshman leadoff hitter Cade Curlin has hit the most home runs by a second baseman uh, in Florida program history in a single season. Uh, Jack Caglione has hit the most home runs, period, by a Florida Gator in a single season. Josh Rivera needs one home run. Uh, to take the title for shortstops in a single season. So this has been a a, a potent group. Uh, they rank among the best in the country uh, in nearly every meaningful statistic. So yeah, this is a this is a team that goes as far as its offense does. 
we, we talk about top eight national seeds a lot of times, right? Right now we're, we're trying to see if Vanderbilt is a top eight caliber national seed, and it starts with this weekend for them. It starts with this weekend for Florida, right? They can secure it. Will mentioned earlier in our first segment, they've got Kentucky uh, next weekend. Do you Is Florida a top eight national seed in your mind? Obviously, there's a lot of work to do, but do you see them as a top eight caliber type of program right now? It's an interesting question. I think right now they're right on the bubble. I would say that the last three weekends have been tough for Florida. Uh, they're four and five over their last nine games in SEC play. Obviously, that sweep at South Carolina, which is a shoe-in top eight seed at this point. Uh, they sweep New Missouri, and then they go you know one and two uh, at Texas A&M. So uh, I think it's it's right on the border. I would say that that Florida right now is probably on the outside looking in, but obviously. Uh, a series victory, you know, one of these next two weekends probably goes a really long way. Jacob Rudner covers Florida for 24-7 sports. I got a few more a little bit later, but I'll send it over to Trev now. Trevor, what you got for Jacob? You got to unmute your mic first, Trev. <laughs> Very unprofessional, Trevor. Jacob, I promise this is not my first time doing this. Uh, I am not a professional journo, though. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about Jack Caglione, of course, uh, maybe the hottest bat in all of America. Um, first off, what is it with Florida and just power, just just power hitting first baseman with him and Pete Alonso? Nah, it must be something in the water here. I mean, they seem to do it every single season, and it's not just at first base. Uh, this is now the third year in a row where a Florida hitter has has flirted with and now broken the single season record. Uh, Judd Fabian got pretty close. Now he's in the Baltimore Orioles system. And last year it was Wyatt Langford who tied it. So this is a, it's a power hitting team for sure. And, and, and to, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep on with Jack Caglione a little bit. Um, shout out to Ari Gerson. She rests for Vanderbilt for our local paper, the Tennessee. And she made a really good, interesting uh, point about Jack Caglione versus right-handed pitchers. Obviously as a lefty is absolutely smashing them, slashing 394, 450, 985, 22 home runs. Most of his home runs come off righties. Vanderbilt, obviously a lefty, uh, lefty heavy, all their starting weekend guys are lefties, I believe versus left-handed pitching. It's down. It's not 394. That's for sure. But I mean, still 273. I think if anybody else in the country hit 273 period, um, you'd be like, oh, okay, they're having a pretty good season. Slash is 273, 314, 561, only five home runs. So I guess that's the one weak point. What does he is there any is there anything that he has to do at the plate? Is does he maybe change his his approach going up against so many lefties that Vanderbilt has? Because obviously there is a dip in his in his slashing, but still, I mean. The power might not be there, but the batting average sure is. the The OBP is still there. Does he change his approach to the plate at all this weekend, or is it just going to be a, go up there and just hit bombs? <laughs> I, I think the approach stays the same at this point in the season. It's uh, the the uh, go up and hit bombs uh, approach has gone well, uh, regardless of you know right handed or left handed pitching. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say that at, at this point, he probably is going to be the same guy at the plate. Uh, as he's been all year, it's just late in the season. And so uh, the, the magnitude of adjustments that guys are going to make at this point uh, are probably not too big. And so I would say that uh, for, for Caglione, he, he probably leans a little bit heavier into that average and maybe doesn't try and deposit uh, baseballs over the wall at such a high frequency as opposed to just kind of putting bat on ball uh, and, and, and making Vanderbilt's defense work. So I would say that uh, maybe he tries to take something off from a power perspective, but I, I would say the approach probably stays the same. Mm-hmm. Well, what you got? 
I've got one quick one for you, Jacob, and answer this how you would how you would like to. It's it's kind of well known that Trevor and Billy are the baseball guys, but Vanderbilt in Florida, uh, this this is a unique situation that the Florida Gators find themselves in. Vanderbilt football was able to beat Florida uh, in this past fall. Vanderbilt basketball went two and zero against Florida, and now Florida baseball is faced with the task of not allowing <laughs> the Florida Gators to be swept in all three major sports. Do you think they are feeling added pressure for being owned by the Vanderbilt Commodores, Jacob? <laughs> I don't. I don't think that the uh, the baseball team is paying too much mind to it. Uh, I would say that the baseball team is in a bit of a different. Uh, a place from a, a strength and readiness perspective in terms of its ability to compete against high-level competition. Uh, I would say that this is probably going to be uh, a reasonably competitive series, uh, regardless of the motivation. So I would say that uh, Florida's baseball team might be more motivated by a potential top eight seed uh, that can be secured this weekend rather than uh, revenge against the Commodores. But I, I certainly think it could be a factor. He handled that incredibly well. We have to take very the professional. shots. Where we we yeah, have to take the shots where we, can take, where we can do it because we had to do the same thing for Kentucky as well. So as Vanderbilt fans, we always take the wins where they come and like to uh, take the shots when we can take them. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. <laughs> maybe, maybe the fans are, are taking – the Florida fans are taking that perspective. Well, I don't know about the players uh, or, or the coaching staff, but uh, Jacob, I got a couple more for you here, and, and thanks again for taking the time. Um how you know watching Vandy? I don't know how much of Vandy you've watched. Obviously, the pitching is is one of the best in the country. Uh, hitting, they're more of a I don't know about small ball, but they're more of a you know get runners on, move them over with base hits. They're not as much of a power hitting team as Florida is. So, how do you think these two teams match up? All right, we're we're not ready for predictions yet, but you know, for from the Vandy perspective, how do you think a team like Vanderbilt matches up with such a power hitting team like Florida? Yeah, I think that this is a strength on strength series. I was just talking, you know, this this whole week has been about Florida Vanderbilt for me. And, and the thing that I've told everybody has been, uh, this is kind of one of those rare series where the uh, each team is kind of dominant in the opposite field. So you have Vanderbilt, which is going to be a really strong pitching team. You've got three weekend starters who are, you know, between good and excellent, depending on when you get them. You have a bullpen that is consistent top to bottom. I don't know that Vanderbilt's bullpen like blows anybody away. There are some other bullpens in the SEC that are really outstanding, uh, but this is among the better ones. And then you have this Florida team that has been inconsistent on the mound, uh, you know, bullpen and rotation, but is easily one of the best lineups in the country. And so it, it, it really is going to come down to whose strength is going to be able to outshine the other. Uh, I like for Florida without getting into a prediction. I, I, I do like that Florida has the home field advantage in this scenario. Uh, I think that that pitching is harder to travel with, as I'm sure you guys are well aware, uh, and it's easier to hit at home. So I, I would say that the edge to me probably goes to the home team, but it's not by a lot. And I think that this is really kind of a toss up coin flip of a series. You got into it a little bit there. I, you know, any beat writer we have on before a series, I like to ask them what the X factor is, right? If If this happens, if blank happens, Florida will win. If blank happens, Vandy will win. So... What's your X factor for this weekend, right? Is it the the offensive output for Florida, the the pitching, you know, from the Vanderbilt perspective? What are you looking at? So what are your X factors if you have one or two for, for this weekend for both Vandy and Florida fans to to keep an eye on? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two. And the first one, I'll go back to Trevor's question about hitting left-handed pitching. I think that that's critical this weekend. 
how Florida is able to do with its top hitters against left-handed pitching could go a very long way, if not directly to determine the outcome of this series. Jack Caglione is not as strong a hitter against lefties as he is righties, and, and he's still great. Uh, BT Ryafel, Florida's catcher and, and five-hole hitter, is markedly worse against left-handed pitching than he is righties. Uh, and the same can be said for Colby Halter, uh, Michael Robertson, Florida center fielder. All of those guys uh, have their own struggles against lefties. And so I would say offensively, how Florida can deal with that this weekend from one through nine in the order is probably X factor one. Uh, and two, I would say, can Florida control the walks? Can, can they keep guys off bases for free? If Vanderbilt's able to get on base via hits, that's one thing. And at least you're pitching the contact and making your defense work for it. Uh, but free passes, especially against a team like this, is just not going to work. This is a fast team. Florida does a poor job of controlling runners on base, and, and Vanderbilt is a team that will take advantage of that just with its speed. Uh, and so if, if Florida can handle lefties and control free bases, I think that that's probably the key to success for the Gators, and, and the opposite would be true for the Commodores. Jacob, one of my fa- I'm, a, I'm a product of growing up on sports radio and sports talk. One of my favorite things is is word association with players. So I'm going to run through a couple of Florida players and it could be it, it doesn't have to be one word. It could be I mean, you could have a whole sentence. I'm going to spout off a couple guys and just the first thing that pops into your head. Uh, we want to hear. Um, I'm not going to say Jack Caglione because, of course, uh, we don't need to talk about him. A guy in. <laughs> This is a twofold question because I'm going to run through some guys, but then I want to come back to this guy. Wyatt Langford. I'm going to go with elite. Um, that seems like a cop-out mm. answer, but I think that a lot of people overlook him. Uh, it's just a guy who is having – he hasn't has that had the power numbers that he had last year, but this is an easy top three pick in the draft. So I, I would go elite for Wyatt Langford. Shortstop Josh Rivera. Underrated. Uh, having a phenomenal season, kind of got overlooked after three quiet years uh, and has really made himself some money, I think, this season. Okay, and then last we're going to go pitching, Hurston Waldrop. Ooh, I'm going to go I'm gonna go wild, uh, and I'm going to explain that to mean that there's just a wild range of outcomes if I had to pick one word. Uh, I think that this is a guy who could go out there and be totally shut down elite, looks like a top 15 pick in the draft, next great thing out of college baseball. And then there are some weekends that, you know, to be truthful, leave you kind of scratching your head and wondering what happens. So I, I would say wild for wild for Waldrop. I love that so much. I want to go back to Wyatt Langford real quick, because obviously Jack Caglione is having a historic season, but I don't feel like Wyatt Langford sort of gets the credit that he deserves. I mean, just slashing 399. That's insane. 399, 538, 784, OPS of uh 1.32. I mean, that is crazy statistics. And I don't and if of course if you're tapped into college baseball, then you know who Wyatt Langford is. You know he's going to be a top MLB pick. You know he's a he's a great ball player. But do you sort of feel like his season has been overshadowed by Jack Caglione and he kind of doesn't get the respect that he deserves? I mean, I think that that's certainly true to a degree. You have a guy on your team who's hit 27 home runs with, you know, six regular season games to play. And that's going to dominate a lot of the headlines. Uh, but, but I don't think that it has taken away from the greatness that has been Langford season. I mean, you read off the stats, he's hitting almost 400. Uh, he was the, the leader by far on Florida's offense last year uh, as a sophomore came back as a draft eligible junior. He's killing it again. Uh, if anything, to me, 
the reason Langford has has maybe flown under the radar a little bit is because he's just maintained that level of excellence. There hasn't really been uh, a bar to raise. He's just matched the the elite excellent bar that he set last season. And and there's no question in my mind that this is a top five pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. All right, Jacob. Thanks again, man, for for coming on. We got to get your prediction here. Vandy, Florida, huge series starts tomorrow, four thirty our time. I know five thirty. Uh, Florida time and then 5:30 on uh on Saturday and then at noon on Sunday. What do you got Vandy Florida who wins it this weekend? I'm going to go Florida wins the series but Vandy gets a game. Like I said earlier, I think that the home team is is favored considering it's kind of one of these uh strong pitching versus strong hitting matchups. So I'm going to go two games to one uh Gators. And that works out well for both teams, right? I mean, we talked about it. Florida, they get the series. They, they, you know, get a little bit of an upper hand in the East. But Vanderbilt, you ever to get one in Gainesville? I mean, Florida plays very well at home. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes this weekend. But, Jacob, again, thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the coverage and uh, stay cool uh, down there in Gainesville. Appreciate you guys.